Anybody who wants to talk about intimacy with God has my attention. Because intimacy with God is our highest calling. There's nothing higher than being his and being a friend with God. And so today I want to talk to you about one of my favorite men in the Bible, David. And, and in Acts chapter, and I, I just want to jump into it. Can I just jump into it? Because the Lord gave me some prophetic words that I'm supposed to give people at the end. And so I just, I just sense God is going to do something special. Who is your um, clarinet player? Okay, okay, okay. He hasn't left, right? Please don't leave, my friend, because I believe that you're going to help me on a couple things today. So, so, so you need to be ready, okay? God, 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 God has a voice through that instrument today that there's some people. I, as we talk about a man after God's own heart, one of the things that we have to remember, I'm going to start talking to you about what it means to have a heart after God. And, 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 and something's going to happen tonight. I just know it because I have fasted, I've prayed, I've sought God. And one of the things that I'm going to tell you is going to happen is that there's going to be some places in your life that you did not know you were numb. And the anesthetic is going to wear off today. And you are going to begin to feel in that area again. And some of you, it's not going to feel real good at first. But it's because there's life being released in you that you didn't even know you were missing. So would you stand with me and let's invite the Lord to speak through His servant this, tonight. Amen. Would you just put your hands out as in just an act of... And by the way, you can't receive until you open your hand for Him to take away what you got. So just open your hands and just give him everything that you are. Just say, Lord, if there's anything that I've held on to, I just want to let it go. So, Father, right now, we just come to you, and we ask you through your son Jesus, through the access that has been given to us by the blood of the Lamb, to enter into the holiest today, to enter into that place where your presence continually dwells and always dwells. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that everything that needs to fall away tonight would fall away. That you would look down and go, I found him. A man after my own heart. I found her. A woman after my own heart. I've been looking for you. And Lord, I pray today that you would find in this room men and women who have a heart after God. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. And in Acts chapter 2, I, I, I just want to talk to you about the scripture that, 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 uh, that Paul is in, in Antioch and he's preaching this message. And in the middle of this message, he makes this statement about David. And he says this, in Acts 13, 21, he says, Afterward, they asked for a king. This is Israel who wanted a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. You have to be careful what you ask God for because you might get it. You, may, you think that's funny, but the Bible tells me that when they were complaining in the wilderness and said, can we not have quail? Can we not have meat? The Bible says he gave them the desires of their heart, but sent them leanness of soul. And there comes a point where every one of us, we have to be careful what we ask God for. Because there's things that God wants to do in us, and our own desires and appetites can actually lead us into the fulfillment, self-fulfilled prophecies, so to speak. So I just want us to be careful because this tells me that the, the people thought they needed a king. God thought they needed him. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
And the Bible goes on and he says, And when they had removed him, he raised up for David as a king, to whom he also gave the testimony and said, Now I need you to be careful and watch this, in whom he gave the testimony to. This is God's testimony of David. It's one thing for when we give a testimony of what God has done. It's another thing when God says, I'm going to put it in Scripture, and I have a testimony to tell all of the New Testament church. I found a man. I found a man. I found a man. The son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. You see, it's one thing to know God's heart. It's another thing for God to say, I found somebody who actually is after my heart. See, you can know God's heart and not be a man or woman after God's heart. How do I know? Jonah. Jonah knew in chapter 4 of Jonah the heart of God for Nineveh. He knew that God was merciful and gracious and slow to anger. That's why he was complaining under the tree. He said, God, I knew this is what you would do. It's one thing to know that God is merciful, that God is gracious, that God is long-suffering, that God has all these things figured out, but it's another thing to be a man of God after God's own heart. You know, Jonah knew who God was, and he knew God's heart, but he didn't have God's heart. You can know God's heart and not have God's heart. And so many of the church, we have become so religiously accustomed to singing songs of worship and adoration. And we we can recite things that God will do. We know he's a father. We know we're sons. We know all those things. We know them. But God says, I'm looking for somebody who wants to go just a little bit farther. I don't want you to know my heart. I want you to have my heart. Do you hear what I'm trying to say today? You see, it's interesting. Even Abraham knew, you know, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in in, in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham could say to God this. When he's asking him for 50 and for 40 and for 30, he says this. He says, God, I know you would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. He knew a little bit about God. He knew that God would never, ever put the righteous and the unrighteous in the same judgment, in the same category. How does I know? Because he says, he says, I know you're just. I know a little bit about you, God. But he was still short. Because we find out that God, it's not just that you know that God is for the righteous. It's do you know that God is for everyone? Do you have his heart? Can you get his attention? Think about Israel. They're going along. They, they've got, they, they, they have the examples. They have all the miracles. They have all the things that have happened up to this point. And God is looking for somebody. And in all of Israel, he's trying to find a certain type of person. The, the New Testament says that the Father is seeking a true worshiper. One that worships in spirit and truth, for that is who the Father's looking for. And as Christians, what we need to do is we need to put some things aside and start asking ourselves, are we becoming who God is looking for? Are we being the people that God gets his attention? When God goes, Anthony, now there's a man after my own heart. He's going to be faithful to do all my will. Does that make sense? So, 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 
So what was it about David's life that caused the Lord to take such notice? What turned God's attention beyond somebody who just knew God's heart for somebody that God can say, he has my heart? And maybe tonight, some things are going to be pulled away from us that we can be like David, and we begin to step into that. 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm going to start right where he's called. And in 1 Samuel 16, 6, it says, so it was when they came that they look and said, Eliab, this is Samuel the prophet who's coming to anoint David. And, and, and the story reads, many of you have read this a thousand times, but may this be the one where something jumps out in you and grabs a hold of you. And he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He's looked at Eliab. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the outward appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Say that with me. The Lord does not see as man sees. One of the things we get tripped up is, is that we're producing a gospel that is very visual. When God is trying to produce a gospel that's very internal. A gospel that works from the inside out instead of the outside in. Does that make sense? And he says, do not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then, then, then Jesse made Shama pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are, these all the, are, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent him and brought him in. Now, now he was ruddy and bright-eyed and good-looking, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Something God saw in David when he was a young man, set the course of Israel's history. It's interesting, even the prophet missed it. The man of God going to anoint the next king who God says, this is the man and whom I'm going to have do all my will. He's not going to be like Saul. Still couldn't get his eyes off a Saul-type leader. And we live in a world in where we're still raising up Saul-type leaders because they carry all of the charisma and all the ability and all the attributes and their head and shoulders above everybody else and we tag them as the next great thing and we watch them like shooting stars start so well and end so bad. Because God doesn't look like we look. God looks at the heart. You see, God sees people, places, and things much different than we do. God doesn't see Madison as the 11th, quote, unchurched city. We're number two. We're Seattle, for heaven's sakes. So, by the way, that's not a statistic to brag about. It's not. But you know what God sees? An opportunity for a David to come on the scene for a Hannah to be found, asking for a child, for somebody in their secret closet, in their secret place, begin to turn the head of God himself and say, now there's a man. I can have do all my will. I won't have to apologize for him when it's all said and done. 
Do you hear what I'm saying today? You see, Chronicles says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to them, to him. Do you know in all the men in scripture besides Jesus, David is the one that is talked more about not by what he did, but who he was. And may it be found in us that it isn't all the accolades of what we've done, the church we built, this thing that we did, this. I don't want to be known by that. See, see, David is known more to be like Jesus than any other type of in the Bible. And when we read about David, we read the Psalms of his brokenness, of his victories, of his being close to God, of all those things. Because what you're going to find with David's life, there's more written about who David was than what David did. And may that be one of the characteristics of you and I. That people will say, oh yeah, he's, she's a man of God. A woman of God. He's a man of God. May that be what we serve for and strive for. So how did this happen? Psalm 78 gives us a picture of what God was seeing when he was in the fields. And in Psalm 78, verse 70, it says, he also chose David, his servant. And this is Asaph, the, 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 great, the great musician who's writing this psalm. And he says, he's also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, he brought him, to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. All those times that he just worshiped God on his own, taking care of the thing that was in front of him. Those times that he learned to hear God's voice, that he waited alone, that he just did what he was, was called for him to do. He just did it. And so many of us, were looking for the next great opportunity. God is looking for the opportunity, the next great opportunity he has with you. He's looking for an opportunity for you to come so close to him that it turns his head. And he can say like he did Job, have you considered my servant Job? A blameless man. Devil, have you missed a guy? Let me show you a guy you've missed. His name's Job. And turns his head to a man that is going to live in such a way that he has God's heart. Does that make sense? David was never set out to be king. He didn't, he didn't get up in the morning and go, I'm going to be the king of Israel. He wasn't in the shepherd field dreaming about the ministry that he would have. He wasn't dreaming about the accolades. He wasn't saying, I'm going to pastor a church of 5,000 people. I'm going to change the whole world with my ministry. I'm going to do these amazing things. I just need the breakthrough. I just need a break. I just need, I, I need somebody to notice me. I need to write a psalm that everybody can put on a, on a, on a top 40. I want, I got to get on Bethel worship, man. I got to get a song on Bethel because then everybody will know me and everybody will know my ministry and that will open the door and God will use my life in the most powerful and profound way no he was a young man at the altar worshiping just doing what he's doing because he's in love with God because he has decided that God was his all in all that he was his one thing that there was nothing else that he wanted in this world but to know God and God said I took notice of that 
And when I needed a man that could deliver my people, I said, I'm passing Saul by, and I'm going to this little boy called David. Because David's a man after my heart. And he'll do everything that I speak to him about. He'll follow me. David wasn't a perfect man, but David was still God's man. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? So how did God form this heart in David? I want to show you through the Psalms that David wrote how it happened. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that a heart that is after him, that wants God, that wants to live in intimacy, has to be a heart that's searchable. Your heart has to be searchable. And some of you today, this is going to really hurt because this is an area of your life that you're not willing to take time and let God do a thorough inspection. It hurts when God begins to look because what's happening is the things in you that have been numb, that are not alive, he puts his finger and he breathes on them. It's like this, and I'll go ahead and use the analogy. I was going to do it at the altar, but I'll use it. I had an Achilles injury. I have a nine-inch cut. I, I blew out my Achilles coaching football, and, and uh, I, I had a lineman step on my, the back of my leg with his size 15s and pop, Achilles. And one of the things the doctors told me was this. They said... You know you're getting better when your foot begins to hurt because the feeling is coming back in the nerves. And some of you today, God is going to begin to restore feeling in you. Things that you didn't feel. It's been a long time since you felt that. But for the foot to firmly heal, there's a time where the nerves have to grow back, and they grow about an inch every, I forget what the, the thing is. And so I had nerves that were from here, and they had to grow all the way back in my foot, and at first it tingled. Then it began to feel like sharp nails in my foot. And the doctor says, oh, that's normal. That's what's going to happen when you get your feeling back. And some of us today, God puts his fingers on things that you don't want to touch that you don't want to search out, and he's touching that. And he's saying, I know it's going to feel a little painful today, but it's because what you once had no feeling in, you're going to feel again. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You get what I'm trying to say today. See, in, in Psalm, 39, uh, Psalm 139, turn there with me today, and, and David writes this. He says, oh, Lord, you've searched me, and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down are acquainted with all of my ways. Isn't it interesting that he knows enough about God that he knows his relationship with God is such two-way that he already has allowed God to search him and he knows that God has been searching his life. He knows God knows everything about his life and he lives before God as an open book. May I suggest to you, if you want to have intimacy with God, you have to allow God to search you. You have to get to the point where you can say, God, you've searched me. You know me. You know what I'm thinking. You know where my thoughts wander. You know where I've been. You know the unforgiveness of my heart. You know the way I thought about my dad or this thing that happened in me. And God, you have, you have put your finger on everywhere where I've allowed you to look. And so today, just with your eyes closed for a moment, some of you today, I want you to say this so that during the rest of the message, it can marinate. I want you to say, search me, Lord. Look thoroughly, Lord. Comprehend my ways.
He writes, for there is not a word on my tongue, be, be, but behold, Lord, you, are, you know it all together. And then he's learned something. I want you to get this picture. He said, you've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. When you begin to allow God to search you, you're going to learn two things. First of all, he's going to find stuff. <laughs> and number two, when you learn to let him search you, you're going to find out that it's okay. Most of us don't think it's okay to find stuff. Like if God finds stuff, he won't accept me. But think about David. He's got adultery, murder, conniving, that he's had to let God search him to create a new heart in him. He had to have known something about God as a young man that God was willing and quick to forgive because of the relationship he had with God was so intimate and so connected. It wasn't a bad thing to let God search him. And church, here's the problem. Many of us have set it up that it's a bad thing for God to look when it's the best thing that could ever happen to your life because he's the only one big enough to handle it and do something about it. Nobody else can do anything about it. But you have to let him do this. It's something that has to happen in order for you to become the person that is intimate and draw. Because you know what happens when people still love you after they see what's in you? It creates a relationship. It creates something that cannot be broken. What was the cry of David? Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your spirit and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Remember, his cry when he did blow it was, God, I'm coming to you and I'm letting you get a thorough look and you gotta do whatever it takes and I'm trusting that you're not gonna cut me off because you found stuff in my life you didn't like. And may we suggest to you, church, that we become the kind of church that doesn't cut people off when we find things about their life we don't like. When, 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 we, when we realize if, if you knew where I came from as an addict from Kodiak, Alaska, I was a drug addict. I cannot ever say to a prostitute, an addict, or anybody else that their life doesn't matter because I was in the gutter. I was 145 pounds. I was clucking on the street. The guy you walk around, I, that's where God met me. That's where God met me. There's, there's no way I can't allow God to search my heart. You know, it's funny. If you read the last verse of the same psalm, because at the beginning he says, you've searched me. But did you know what the last verse says? Search me, O God. But he tells us that God searched him already. You know what he's saying to us? He starts it with, the Lord, you've searched me. You know me. And he ends Psalm 139 this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Look inside of me. See if there be any anxieties in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This wasn't a one-time search for him. This was a relationship with God that he wanted the door to always stay open. How many in this room, you, you've allowed God to search you before, but tonight might be a really good night for you to say, Lord, I need you to search again. Amen.
every closet, every doorway. Do you know what? Searching means you're allowing access. God has to have access to your heart if you ever want intimacy with him. He just has to have full access. And he can't have awesome worship through Nathan access. He has to have access in the quiet seasons of your life. Do you know what's hardest on young people? Is when you make them turn everything off. Do you know why it's so hard for young people? Do you know why they have phones and they have distractions? They have those things because they're afraid of being still. Because as soon as they're still, they begin to see things in them they don't like what they see. David didn't have a cell phone. He had a rod, a staff, a harp. He had a sling. He had campfires with sheep. And he had a mighty big God that wanted to spend lots of time with him. And he wasn't afraid to be alone. Does that make sense? A heart has to be teachable, number two. Saul couldn't be taught because of his pride. But it's interesting with David. David not only was taught, but David grew up listening to the voice of God. He grew up as a young man hearing God. He grew up to where to the point that before he's with 15 to 20, sometime in that point, that God puts his finger on him and says, there's the guy. It's never too young to be teachable. It's never too old to be teachable. God was able to teach him. In fact, Psalm 25, this is a Psalm of David. His own words say this in verse four and five. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your past. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for I wait all the day long. He writes again in Psalm 25, 14, and I never saw it in the ESV like this. He said, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. I always read it in the King James, the secrets of the Lord. But it's actually, it's actually called the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes, him know, makes them, to, them to know his covenant. In this place of teachableness is where we learn intimacy with God. As you're searchable, as you're teachable. Do you know what the Bible tells us to be like in the New Testament? To be childlike. Jesus tells us, and I have both scriptures here, but because of time, I'll let you read it on the screen. He says, unless you become converted and like little children, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. God is constantly trying to get you and I back to childlikeness. He's constantly trying to get you and I to that place and where we're learning to live as children before God, as kids that just want to learn, that want to grow, that want to hear their, vo- their dad's voice, want to get close to him, want to know what he says, want to know what he's doing, want to hear his voice. And so many of us, what's happening as we get older, we get smarter. But the reason why we get harder is because we lose the innocence of being a child, of where we can trust that when God, dad's got us, he's got us, that he can carry us. And I'm asking God to release in this room today a new childlikeness in our lives. It's my own kids that are actually teaching me things. 
I, all of my kids love Jesus. They all serve the Lord. They all know his voice. And I learn more from Caleb and from Joy and from my kids than I learn from so many adults because they just take for granted that they're children and they love God and they just follow God. Some of us need a conversion. Unless you be converted and become like little children. Some of us, we've been born again for years, but we need a conversion. We need to be awakened to the simplicity of our Father's voice in his heart, the intimacy he pulls us into. Most of the time when God speaks to me, it's very simple. He knows I'm not a real sharp cat. I'm a commercial fisherman. I didn't grow up with a lot of pedigree. I don't have a really large, you know, I, I mean, was, when I heard Beth today, I'm like, oh my goodness, this gal can bring it down, man. She, she just unfolds it. I'm like, I'm trying to keep notes. And I'm, I mean, she, and me, man, I have half that vocabulary. But I know Papa really well. I know Abba really well. And until we become teachable, we can never step into a place of intimacy God wants us to have. We just can't. Because God's going to teach you not like men. The Bible says, I don't, I don't think like men. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. They're higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to speak to you in simplicity because I really want you to know that it's not complicated to know me. It's not hard to know God. Can I tell you that God is not real impressed with my preaching? And that's okay. I'm not asking him to be impressed with my preaching. I just want him to notice that I'm in love with him. And if I'm in love with him, hey man, that's going to be okay. He can teach me when I let him search me. And when he begins to teach me, he begins to teach me stuff. Do you know how you, you know how to be taught the best? Be humble. Humility is the greatest teacher that you'll ever learn. Do you know that, right? If you really want to learn from the Lord, ask David. He gets anointed king and spends 15 years of his life running for his life. He's the anointed one. He's the man of God. He's, he's, the, he's it. He's the flavor of the month. Now run, because here comes the spears. Now run to the cave, go to the Ab Abdullam. And along there, God is not only teaching him how to trust, teaching him how to go deeper, teaching him his voice. He's now bringing men and others into that place of teaching. He goes to a cave of Abdullam, and he's got the distressed and debt and, and discontent, and they walk out of there. And do you know David's mighty men were never called that again? They leave the cave with a new name, God's mighty men. Something happened even in David's formulation of his heart for God and what God wanted to do that it began to leak over to everybody around him and he, his intimacy became a, a transformational peace, peace for everyone else. It's an amazing thing. A humble heart is an incredible thing and I, I've already read, read, read to you. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit with me. But I want to show you I can tell you tonight where God dwells on the earth today. In Isaiah 57, I want you to catch this, church. The Bible says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, get this picture, 
He says, I inhabit eternity. All of eternity, wherever you, the Bible, even David says, if I make my bed in hell, you're there too. You know, God's in hell. That's hard to fathom. But David said it, I believe it. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I, if I go to, to the bottoms of the earth, you're there too. There's no place that God does not have, inhabit. He, he, he literally, his presence is everywhere. But he says this, I dwell in a high and a holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You, you know where God's looking tonight? He's looking for a place to dwell. And in this room, he's looking for a certain type of individual. Somebody who is willing to allow their heart to be broken, to humble themselves before the mighty hand of God. Humility literally is the resting place for the presence of the Lord. You want to know where God rests? He rests in the high and the holy place with him who has a broken and a contrite heart. Have you ever wonder why some men in the Bible didn't get forgiven for what they did? But David did. Saul, he pleaded nothing. Esau, they pleaded repentance was not given. Why was repentance given to David? Because I dwell in a high and a holy place, Jesus says. That's what the Father says. With him who has a broken and a contrite spirit. See, I learned humility the hard way. Even in ministry, there's been times where God has had to take me low so that he could raise me up. And sometimes it hurts really bad when you have to humble yourself, but it's in that humility you begin to feel again. You begin to hear again. You begin to see again. It's in humility. It's a crazy thing, humility. The Bible says honor comes be after humility. The Bible says before honor comes humility. And so many of us, we want to be honored. We want positions. We want to be in places. And God says, if you want to be in a place of intimacy with me, then like my son, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Submit yourself. Young people, this is what normally keeps you from moving forward with God. You love that you can allow God you want him to have your hurts. You want him to have your pains. You want him to take things away from you, and that's beautiful. But then when God begins to say to you and I, I need you to go low so that I can go up, most of us struggle with bending. And right now, just for a moment, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask God to give you a heart today that will bend to whatever his will looks like. Just for a moment as I prepare the third point. Amen. The third thing I want to share with you today is that a heart 
that is after God is a trusting heart. David was able to trust God where most of us would never trust God. Just the fact that after he gets a call from God, he has to run for 15 years would make all of us go ahead and go do something else. For heaven's sakes, Peter couldn't even last 40 days before he went back fishing. I know as a fisherman. He didn't last very long knowing what God has for his life. But boy, David is put in this position and where he has to learn how to trust God. And friends, it's one thing to say trust God. It's another thing to be in the thick of trusting God. It's one thing for you to say, oh, trust God. Hang on, it's going to be all right. God's bringing you through. It's another thing to be in the midst of the boat or the midst of the storm or the midst of the circumstance and be able to say, because I know him, I know I'm okay. Because I know who he is, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And it's one thing to say that you trust the Lord. It's a whole other thing to be fleshed out. How many know what I'm talking about? David could say, God knows what's best for my life. I remember with my wife and I, when we were coming to the church we're at, we've been there for 18 years, and we, we, we had, a, we, we, we had this, this um, church planting group. We're going to plant this church downtown Seattle where I started. And man, we, we, had these, we had this great worship leaders. We had these great guys. We had these men that I had raised up before, and they were solid. And, and Pastor Zederston, my pastor, uh, he had this little church that he had just kept alive. And it was in Burien. And there were 17 people there. And he would say to me, you know, I just really feel the Lord wants you to go there. I'm like, no way, not on your life. No way, I got a call from God. God wants to use my life. I, God, God has plans for me. And so he said, well, would you come and preach? And I went and preached. And I remember the first day that I preached there, I, I go there and I take my wife with me. And I think Paul, my son, was he with us too? I think Paul was with us. And we go in there and there's, there's a couple of ladies in there waving flags. And at the time, flag waving wasn't in. You know, it wasn't an in thing to do. Back, you know, we're talking 18 years ago. People weren't just running around waving flags unless you were in a vineyard church. And so, you know, I wasn't in a vineyard church at the time. And so, and then we got this guy playing, and, and it's just, and it was terrible. I mean, there was nothing about it. It was broken people trying to do the work of the Lord. And nothing more ugly than broken people who are not calling out to be fixed. They're trying to duplicate the victory that Christ has for all of us. And I remember preaching and I got through, and you know, you, this is how I preach everywhere I go. I'm sorry, this is what you get, and I'm just throwing stuff and furs flying, and I'm doing my best, and I get done, and, and, and I pray for everybody, and I leave, and outside the door, a lady from the neighborhood is in a robe, and she starts cussing me out and going, and she starts yelling at me about the church and all this stuff. I I'm, don't even know the neighborhood. I know nothing about the church, and I shut the door, and I say to my wife, I said, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I don't pastor that church. I said, Lord, thank you for not allowing me to go here. But here's the thing. If you know Pastor Zetterston, you know he's a man after God's heart. He's in his 80s at the time. Early 80s. He's now 96. And I was, so he actually was just late 70s. And he was my pastor. And I knew he knew God's voice. 
And I knew he knew God. And on Christmas Day, he calls me and he says, hey, I just want to wish you Merry Christmas and I'm going to ask you and your wife to do a favor for me. I need you to fast and pray for a week because I really feel like you're supposed to go to this church. And I'm like, oh, no. And I said, Pastor, I will do it because it's you. But I have no interest in this church at all. See, I was young, and I was the flavor of the month. And the churches I went to grew, and things happened. And I was a shaker. And I didn't want to go to some, quote, loser church in Burien to minister the gospel. It's like, come on, God. I've come too far. Three days into it, on a Wednesday, my wife gets a scripture and I get a scripture, fasting and praying separate. Because we, we honor our leaders. It's a good thing to honor your leaders. And God gives me this word from Acts. <laughs> and it basically says this. Paul is getting, in, he says, I'm going in change to Jerusalem. I know what awaits me. But none of these things shall move me, nor shall I come. Count my life dear to myself. That was the word God gave us to go to Berean. They didn't give us, you're going to have a revival. God's going to pour out his spirit. Everything good's going to happen. God says, I'm going to send you to a place and change await you. See, you don't go if you don't know his voice. You don't go if you don't love him more than you love your ministry. You don't go and do things like that that puts your family in a financial bind because it, there's no money there. There's nothing. I think it was 500 bucks a month and I had to go work as a painter. And I was in full-time ministry. And to me, it was this giant step back, but I had to make a humble decision. And the decision was this. Could I trust God? more than I trust the ministry I feel called to. And for the first 10 years, my wife will tell you I tried to quit several times. It was not pretty. It's the only ministry that never grew that I was involved in. I couldn't win a soul. I couldn't seem to make a difference. My poor wife, we're working, we're doing whatever we can. We had some measures of victories, but it was in that place that God was shaping something in me that was absolutely necessary. He was humbling me. He was pulling me close to him. He was stripping away the tinsel. He was bringing me to this place where I could begin to hear his voice more than the voices and the applause of people, more than the, 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 the ministry opportunities, more than those things. And, and I, it was in that place that my kids learned to love God. My wife, she just became, she's just it's an amazing, you're going to hear her tomorrow. She will tear it apart. God does such an amazing, but it was necessary for me. Because whatever it takes to have intimacy with God, whatever God has to bring you up against, it's not a bad thing because he knows in the end what he's trying to accomplish in your life. And so many of us, we don't like that way. 
We don't like that way. We want the straight to the moon way. But John, in the height of his ministry, baptizing thousands of people, said this, I must decrease and he must increase. God has to get rid of me. Not because he doesn't like me, but because until I give myself up, I can't become who he wants me to be. An intimacy with God is an exchange. Does that make sense? David writes this. Don't fret because of evildoers. Psalm 37. Nor be envious of workers of iniquity, for they shall be soon cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The psalmist writes it like this in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. When I was doing ministry, he let me run really heavy on my gifts. But as he humbled me, as I began to let him search me, as I decided that being a man of God was a higher priority than being in ministry, I began to experience this thing called the shadow of the Almighty. There's a shadow, my friend, when Papa's standing over you. There's a shadow, my friends, when you're under the Almighty in the secret places where I begin to feel the shadow of the Almighty and I begin to understand, oh God, you and me. Oh, I'm just so grateful it's you and me, you and me. And I can say yes to things that I could never say yes unless I was in the secret place of the shadow of the Almighty. Would you stand with me tonight? At the end of the message that we started with, with in Acts, Paul writes this. He said, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. How did he serve his own generation? Can I suggest it had nothing to do with what he did? Can I suggest the best way to serve your own generation is to be a man or woman after God's heart? You want to see Madison one for the Lord? That's not nearly as important as God wants to see you his. And once you are his, what he can do with a man or a woman who would rather be his, even in the midst of the applause of stadiums or in a little 17-person church in Burien, if you will get rid of that and you will go after who he is, no matter how bad it hurts or no matter how it may tweak your pride, how it may do all the things that messes you up, if you'll do that, I'll promise you, you'll be written this way. Anthony Simmons after he had served his generation by the will of God. Because what did he say at the beginning? I found a man after my own heart 
that will do all my will. And may I suggest to us, intimacy with God always pulls us into the will of God. Put your hands out. Come on, worship team, please come. I wrote some stuff down. As pastor has given me permission to call a few things out, so I'm going to just take my liberty if that's okay and, and know my heart. If I'm wrong, please tell me I'm wrong. Don't go, oh, yeah, that was a good word, brother. Just say, dude, you're off, not even close. Okay? I'm learning. I'm 56 years old, and I'm learning what it means to just be open with God and God to be open with me and, and, and be okay with making mistakes as I step into a greater knowledge of who he is, amen? And, and I believe, so I'm just gonna start a couple things and then I'm gonna ask, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray for certain groups of people today as, and, then we, and I know the worship team will create an environment as well, but, but um, I, I need you, where's that clarinet player? Is he here, is he here? Would you get on your clarinet just for a moment, brother? Sax, either one? Whichever one, do you want to be Kenny G or do you, I mean, whatever, which one do you want to be? I don't know. But anyway, okay, I just, here we go, here we go. Just, okay, hands out, eyes bowed. Vince, right? Your name's Vince. God's going to work in you tonight. There's some things that are, that are going to be lifted off your mind and there's going to be a clarity come to your thought life. God is going to do a work in you, young man. But he's going to need you to be still. He's going to need you to stop. He's going to need you to stop, okay? He's going to need you to stop. Amen. First people I want to ask. And then we're going to sing this song together. And then I'm going to continue on. I asked Nathan ahead of time to play this song. But as we start this song, if you're here today and you're afraid to let God look, there's those of you, you haven't let God search you. You love God. You love the feelings that God gives you, but you have never allowed him in areas of your life to search thoroughly because you're afraid and you're ashamed. And God wants to show you that he's going to look because he has the only healing available for those areas of your life. Would you let him look for you today with eyes closed and heads bowed? If you're here today and, and it's time for you to let God search you, you know God is saying, you know what you're hearing from the Spirit right now is that the Lord has said, let me look. Would you give me your heart and let me take some time to point out to you these things that have died, these things that you've gone numb to. Some of you, you have pain. And what's going to happen as you begin to let God search you, and we'll be happy to pray for you at the altar, is that you're going to begin to feel again. And some of you, it, it, there may even be some expressions of groaning. There, and there could even be, there just I don't know how you'll respond to it, but it's because it's been so dead for so long that life will feel almost painful to you. It's a pain that is not to hurt you. It's a pain that is to bring you back into feeling with eyes closed and heads bowed. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I know you're here. Yes, 
yes, yes, there's many of you tonight. And so in a minute, he's going to sing this song. And the song is called, Nothing I Hold On To. And when you come, I want you to come and kneel. If you can kneel, if you can't stand, but if you can kneel, I want you to come. So why don't you just come right now? Just If you raise your hand, come and please. This is the family of God. This isn't a show. This is because I believe God, by the Holy Spirit, is putting things on, uh, taking things off. And just come, and I want you to kneel, and I want you to, as we sing this song, I want you to sing it as a prophetic act to God. I want you to say, there's nothing I hold on to. you're going to heal what you find, Lord. You're going to heal what you find. But Lord, you're not going to cast me out. You're going to receive me. You're going to pull me in, Lord, because, Lord, you're changing everything. A year ago, my mom was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. She had three spots on her head and she had already come through lung cancer and had a half a lung cut off and she's not a Christian yet and she called me because the doctor said nothing we can do for you. And I, she called me and she's crying and she said to me, She said, do you think Jesus would heal me? And I said, oh, absolutely, Jesus can heal you. She goes, but I'm not good enough. I don't know if I have faith for that. And the Holy Spirit dropped in my spirit immediately. He said, oh, mama, Lazarus didn't have any faith. He was dead. So we got to praying for her. And I'm here to tell you that God healed her of her brain tumors, and she has been completely healed. But, but that wasn't the healing. This was the healing. The healing was this. She didn't think she had the faith for it. She didn't think God would receive her prayer. She didn't know God. But God doesn't think like men think. His ways are higher than your ways right now. And I'm here to tell you that I know a father that doesn't need your faith to work what he wants to do. Some of you today, you have come. And you need a miracle. Who are you? You need a miracle. I mean a miracle. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you need 50 bucks to pay the cell phone bill. You need a miracle. You need God. You only God can do that. Who is that person? I know there's more than one of you in this room. Why don't you come to the altar as well? And you keep your hands up so I can see who you are. And I want you to allow God to take your heart and place trust in you you didn't know you had. Draw into him and into the trust that he has for you. If that's you, just stand up. We're going to pray for you. 
And I believe that God is going to begin to release healing in this house. And the healing that we need is, it's never physical first. It's always those things that have kept us from being close to Him. And right now, some of you, you, some of you have prayed for years. Prayed for years. Those of you who are still standing, just stretch your hands towards them and just, we're going to ask for miracles to be released today. Because in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. With God, all things are possible. I, I'm with him right now. I, I, I feel the shadow of the Almighty right over me. He's, Papa's standing right over me right now. I'm his son and I, I know Papa's right here. He's, he's like how I stand over my son. He's right there and he's just like, He's like, son, let's just step out. Let me show you something. And so right now, those of you with their hands up, if that's you for healing, put your hand up. And if you're next to somebody with their hand up, I want you to turn to them, and I want you to ask them what it is you're praying for. Be specific, and I want you to say, God, heal them. Just real quickly. You don't have to spend a lot of time. He doesn't need my long prayers. He just needs my obedience. Just quickly just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. And then I'm going to ask that there's a young man with the saxophone coming through. And what he's going to do is he's going to begin to sing over you with that instrument. And you're going to begin to feel. And as you feel it, you receive it. Some of you are actually going to hear the voice of God. You're going to begin to hear, literally, God's, God, God's going to begin to work through you. You're, you're actually going to hear through that instrument God's voice to your life. Because God can speak to us many ways. Let's go ahead and lean into that song one more time. want to pray for one more group of people before I turn it over to our incredible host, Pastor Tom. And I want to, for those of you desiring to be in ministry, God gives us gifts. He gives us all kinds of incredible talents. But nothing Nothing replaces intimacy with God. Nothing. Nothing. I learned the hard way. Everything I touched when I started was gold. I was the flavor of the month. People got saved. Things happened. Crazy stuff happened. And And went to my head. If you're here today, and you know that there is a call to, from God to be in ministry, I'm going to ask you to do something that's really difficult for people, and that is I need you to give your ministry back to God now. I need you to give it up. I was fasting and praying for this. Our church is in a season with millions of dollars. And the, I mean, God is blessed. We don't do debt. We pray everything in. And this is what I heard last night. 
Can you walk away? Can you walk away? And I had to say, Lord, yeah, I'll walk away. Send me to another church with 17 people. Yeah. Because it's not my ministry. It's his. He asked me the question last night, would I walk away from the amazing things that are happening in our church? And I'm thinking, it's been 18 years just to get to this place. Come on, man, just a little break, right? You know what I said to the Lord? If you'll pull me close, I can do anything. If you promise that you'll be closer to me than you have ever been, I will do whatever you want me to do, Lord. And some of you are in ministry today, are going into ministry, and I'm going to ask you to do the hardest thing that you will ever do. You don't think it's a big deal. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, Lord, I give you my life, right? I'm telling you, can you give up your place? Can you walk away for Jesus? Or does it have you too much now? Is your ministry replaced God? All eyes closed and heads bowed. You're here today and you want to go into ministry or you are in ministry. Can you say with me today in this intimacy conference, if he asked me to walk away, I can do it. Nobody look around. Don't look at anybody. Because I need people to be dearly and deeply honest. If you're here today and you have the call to ministry, you know God has put his hand on you for ministry. Can you really raise your hand and say, if he wants to take it from me, that's okay with me. If that's you, just raise your hand. Now what I'd like you to do is put your other hand up and begin to thank him. Say, thank you, Lord. My life is yours. You've traded Jesus, your life, for mine, and that's the best trade ever. Church, if we will actually live with our hands raised like that, if we will actually do ministry like that, there's a good possibility God is going to do powerful things through our lives because it's no longer dependent on us. It's all about the one. Amen. God bless you. I want to thank you for allowing me to be here.